0: So we've built a piece of software where at the moment it's targeted from 16 to kind of 24 years of age. So high school and early in college, we can give you a series of assessments, uh, aptitudes, your verbal, numerical and abstract reasoning, and then an interest inventory. So a group of psychometric assessments, then we will be able to give you a report which gives you 16 very targeted careers, very specific careers that you are going to be good at and you're going to enjoy doing a description of what's actually involved in that career, and then what kind of courses lead to becoming that.
1: Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life, or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too. And if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Stephen Short is involved in different industries including leadership development and psychometric selection as well as international education and training. He's delivered seminars and workshops, moderated panel discussions, and acted as the MC for a range of international events on the topics of entrepreneurship, international communication, leadership, social media marketing, audiovisual marketing, and more. Today, we talk about an assessment he's developed for young adults to match them with a career. Also, the Global Student Entrepreneurship Awards and the Culture of Entrepreneurship in Ireland. Now, let's get right into it.
0: So psychometric tests, it's a collective term for anything that measures human personality, ability, interests, anything that psychoanalyzes. So psycho is to do with the mind and thoughts. So psychometric tests are tests that assess your abilities and your interests and your personality.
1: And do you use these tests in your business? Do you use various tests like Colby and Culture Index? And is there a specific one that you use?
0: So we're distributors for Hogan Assessments in Ireland. So Hogan looks at like a 360 of you, they call the day-to-day, which is the bright side. Then there's the dark side, so at times of high stress. And then there's the inside, which is your motives, values, and preferences. So I'm familiar with Culture Index and Colby and Myers-Briggs and DISC and all of these. But Hogan is the one that we use more often than any of the others.
1: Interesting. I had not heard of that. Is it very specific to Ireland?
0: No, it's actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Bob and Joyce Hogan live out there. They have a fantastic office. I've been out there and it's worldwide. It's used by, I think, something like 97% of the Fortune 500 companies and obviously many, many companies underneath it.
1: Amazing. You learn something incredibly new every day and I'm not surprised I'm learning something new from you, but I am feeling a little bit like I should have known about it before, but it's okay. We all have our paths.
0: We all have secrets that are uncovered from time to time.
1: So is this a franchise and are you a franchise owner?
0: So no, we have our own business. So we do career guidance for individuals. We do selection for companies. We do workshops and training for individuals and for companies, again, team development, coaching, this kind of stuff. And we are distributors for a number of publishers in Ireland. So we're distributors for Pearson, for MHS, for Par. Hogan is one of them as well.
1: Got it. I was just introduced to culture index. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting to see what you can learn from each of these assessments. And Mm -hmm. of course, I don't know, I'm a very gullible and somewhat naive person. In addition to being street smart, like doesn't make any sense. But I always wonder, is this really a thing? I was learning also about strengths finders, right? What's your top five strengths? And I thought, well, if I took this when I was 10 versus 20 versus 51 versus in 10 years, would the answers be much different? And I'm told by most of the people that you should test pretty much right on, no matter how old
0: you are. Do you agree with that? No, because so like I'm not a psychologist, but I do workshops in basic psychology and things like that. So if I was to ask you, okay, how would you define personality? Mm. Most people, would they'd be reaching for something academic and there are very, very lengthy academic descriptions depending on whether you're talking about psychoses or whether you're talking about normal, not normal, sorry, whether you're talking about everyday behavior of people. Basically, your personality is simply your predictable behavior, whatever other people can observe of you and how you're likely to behave. Our behavior is determined by what's called our internal frame of reference. So our beliefs, our values, our perspectives and our habits. Ultimately, those are the things which control our behavior, which in turn controls our personality. If somebody were to say to you, I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. You go to a party or you go to a networking event. You don't recognize anybody and you physically take a half a step back and then you take another step back. And then a second later, you're at the wall. Your back's at the wall. Nobody's talking to me. You whip out your phone, which puts a barrier between you and the other person. Still, nobody's talking to me. They're not very friendly here. I'll go. That's your behavior your habits and your perspectives if we were to force you then to go to the next event and instead of taking that half a step back you stumble forward and you start talking to the group of people you are going to feel like such an idiot your foot is going to be in your mouth you're going to stumble over your words this is all going to be completely new to you but you'll get over it and if you do it again and again and again and then that little trigger that little habit that you form when you walk in to step forward fast forward a year and somebody else sees you at the same networking event, they're going, wow, that person is an extrovert because you've changed your habits, you've changed your beliefs and your perspectives. So your personality has changed and our personality evolves over time. What was interesting for me 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago before my kids were born and what's interesting for me now, what I like doing now. So my interests change, what I want changes. You wouldn't necessarily see somebody going massive swings from one end of the spectrum to another unless there has been a life altering event.
1: Right, right.
0: But generally, we evolve and we move over time. Great. Thank you for clarifying If I was still the same person I was when I was 16, nobody would want to talk to me.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure that's true. I'd want to talk to you, but then I'd probably want to (laughs) switch back to the you now quickly. Describe your team. Who works with you? How do you get
0: work done? So I actually... I have a really small team now, so I had an English language school here in Dublin. We sold that right before COVID, so we on my last day was the same day that Wuhan announced that COVID was a thing, so I'm never playing the lottery because I won it that day. But So now I have a team of basically four people plus my folks, so we all work together in a small team. We're growing it at the moment now once we've come out of COVID. Um, you just said but,
1: plus your folks, and I'm going to assume yep. you met your parents.
0: My parents, yes. So both businesses are, so family business, both of them, the language school and the psychometrics business, both family businesses. I bought my parents out of both of the businesses. So that's why one of the arms of what we do now is succession planning and family businesses succession planning. So I have a keynote, which is build a killer family business without killing your family, based on a lot of the stuff that I learned at the time of taking over two family businesses and selling one of them.
1: Well, that was a brilliant segue to what I wanted to talk to you about next was your keynote speaking and emceeing. How did you come to know that you were a speaker or wanted to be a speaker? And (laughs) I mean, keynotes are, you have to spend a lot of time working out the kinks and making sure it's so great. Emceeing Mm -hmm. is more of a personality and ability to communicate and stage presence, I'm not saying it doesn't take work, but they're two separate things. Not all keynote speakers can be good MCs, and vice versa. But you do both, so just talk to us about everything about both sides.
0: You're asking an Irishman with a microphone to talk to you about everything, and you said you wanted this. To be uh, a regarding
1: okay. um, MCing <laughs> and <laughs> keynote speaking, okay. very specifically.
0: So, before I was in EO. I had done a couple of wedding speeches, best man speeches, and I've done a best man speech in English, Swedish and Finnish and a wedding speech in Spanish as well, because my wife is Spanish. Do you
1: speak all those Um, languages fluently?
0: I speak Spanish a little bit, but I had to get the Swedish and the Finnish translated and (laughs) Swedish was okay. Finnish. Oh, my God. Anyway. (laughs) So I had not done a lot of public speaking. I hadn't really done any professional speaking. I didn't give presentations at work and marketing presentations and pitches and things like that. But that's a different uh, kettle of fish. Then I was lucky enough to get involved in EO and the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards, the GSEA competition, which is still my favorite program in EO. And we were having a European event and the European event, we were putting it on because we didn't have many applicants in Europe. So we did a big thing where we had lots of countries come to an event in Germany. And Miranda Barrett, who is a staff member, who you may remember, still very good friends with her. She's no longer with EO. She just said about a week before, oh, Stephen, you like talking, you'll emcee this. <laughs> and that was the very first time I emceed an event. And then I went on and I've emceed the American final for the GSEA. I've done a couple of the global finals. I was lucky enough to do a president's meeting in Europe, which... I was terrified about because (laughs) speaking uh, for your peers is a
1: whole nother level of terrifying. I would rather speak to 40,000 people I have never met before in my life and will never see again than my own EO chapter. And for those of you listening to this podcast, if you don't know what EO is, it's entrepreneurs organization. It's amazing. You can DM me for more information or just look it up. Continue.
0: So then fast forward a couple of years later and I've been involved in a, do workshops in EO uh, in entrepreneur's organization for strategic planning, I do workshops for uh, leadership academy. And I was asked by a very dear friend of mine Miranda Nyman in EO Tanzania who I think you're familiar with. She was uh, she's global learning chair she was in head of X the year that we went virtual in 2020 and she said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing a talk?" And I said, "Sure." <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> what do I talk about? And then I sat down with some people and I'd been working on some talks on kind of leadership and on psychometrics and leadership and personality. And I developed a couple of these, but there was nothing unique about it. And then I started toying with the idea of succession planning because I'm in two family businesses, sold one just before the world fell apart, uh, building the other one. So that's what we came up with. So there's a whole arm of the business now called Successful Succession where we do workshops and we do consulting and we do coaching, but well, we don't do so much coaching, but we do consulting and we do uh, workshops for people. And now this is where the keynote came out of.
1: So are you making money doing keynote speaking or are you really focusing on generating leads? Or is, so, is it a hybrid so of both?
0: It's a hybrid of both, but it's, I know the argument of do you make money for the talk or from the talk? So I don't really have too much downstream yet. So we have: I can do some workshops and I can do some other stuff but I don't have a pipeline built up. So really it's for me to talk to people who are interested, people who can maybe learn something or get a little nugget from some of my experience who are going through the similar things. And I've had conversations one-on-one with people who are going through very similar things that I went through when I nearly left the family business years ago, because I figured we wouldn't be able to be in the same room together. My parents will (laughs) never see their grandkids because we can never speak to each other. I mean, I've gone through a lot of the ups and downs of that. So Really what I'm trying to do is help people in a similar situation and put good into the world, but at the same time I do want to get paid for taking time away from the business. And then if I put all this stuff down in a book and try and sell the book and all the rest of it.
1: Yeah. Well, sharing that knowledge. I I think I might
0: know some people who can do some help me with the book stuff.
1: Well, we can talk later. (laughs) Have you ever thought that you should write a book? that you should write the story of your life to help other people learn from your experience, please go to memoirsherpa.com and learn how I can help you write, figure out your publishing path, and market your story, your memoir, to a best-seller status. We're going to move on to GSEA, which we need to tell the listeners what that stands for. And I'd like you to talk about
0: Own the Room So, yeah, GSEA is the Global Student Entrepreneur Awards. This is a program run by Entrepreneurs Organization, and it's a competition globally. We're in about 52, 53 countries around the world where we run national competitions, where we're targeting university level students, third level students who own and operate their own business to try and show them, yes, you can do what you're studying and you can study some amazing things, but you can also be an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship is a viable alternative instead of going out and in inverted commas, getting a real job. So we get these amazing, passionate, idea-driven, very eager university students from around the world. And for a lot of them, this is their first time really interacting with other people like them because like a lot of entrepreneurs, operating in kind of silos and going, am I weird for wanting to build it? Like everyone <laughs> else is wanting to get a safe job. Am I, is there something wrong with me? Like what's going on? And when they meet these other people who have completely different businesses, but they're still going through the same stuff, how do I market? How do I set up my business? How do I get a chief operating officer? Or how do I do this? Or how do I get an investor or a mentor or all this kind of stuff? And it is absolutely mesmerizing to see the benefit that these students get. And I just love being around the university students and the energy and the insights and really you get a feel for what's coming in 10 years time like we were looking at virtual Mm -hmm. reality heads up displays in germany and that very first thing that i was talking about for example Mm -hmm. and ai and machine learning and it was really ahead of anything that would be involved in my professional world so i was able to get a heads up on a lot of that so i really love the program and then own the room so own the room is a documentary that is on disney plus which is why actually if you look at my linkedin profile on the headline of my LinkedIn profile, I actually say that I am a Disney princess and I am happy to defend that title. <laughs> so, because I am on Disney Plus. So, this is a documentary that was done by, I'm, I can't, I'm just slipping on the name of the company, two brilliant documentary makers, of a team of about three or four people came out to Macau and we had a great time, they were really involved, they really got to know the students and they followed five of the students of the 50 that we had in Macau. And it's amazing, the five they picked. I genuinely, I've said to people, they were the five people that they picked. They didn't like interview everybody and just pick those five. It's they interviewed everybody and they picked five to follow because that's all they could afford to follow, like for the funding that they had. And I mean, they picked the winner, the winner of two different awards and what? another one who, I mean, his story is just phenomenal. Even They didn't have the story, advantage of
1: being followed. That's not why they won. Right. There's no way that that could have. No, abso-
0: no, absolutely not. Because nobody knew like, I don't think people knew the extent of what the documentary was going to do. Mm-hmm. I think they might have thought, oh, GSEA are documenting this. No, it was a professional documentary team that had asked us, can they use our backdrop as part of the story? So it right. wasn't commissioned by us. It was commissioned actually mm-hmm. by Shopify. Was um, Jenny
1: Fedorovich involved in that at all?
0: No, she wasn't. Detroit? Um, yeah. Sounds she wasn't. like something um, she could be
1: interested in or involved in in the
0: kind of her jam. So the people who did this documentary, they did one a couple of years before that called Science Fair, where they followed a couple of kids on an American, it was an American focused Science Fair documentary about some student and the ins and outs of that. And then they wanted to do it on student entrepreneurship and GSEA was the perfect backdrop for that.
1: That's amazing. I haven't seen so it then, yet. I'm going to watch it this week.
0: Amazing. So a little inside story that you won't see in the documentary, but there's a little bit oh, yeah. to, to notice. So... Adrienne Palmer, former global board member of globally, of of EO, amazing, amazing entrepreneur and EO member. She was the head of the American GSEA competition. And when they picked Daniela Blanco to represent America, they wanted her mother to come from South America to Macau. The story was amazing. We were on board calls. Like I was the chair of the competition. I was the MC of the competition. So I was the chair of the whole committee. So we were on calls and she was really pushing on, look, we got to get this woman to Macau. And I'm looking at her going, we have so much to do. Like, why do we want to add more? We have 52 students from around the world to get. Why are we doing this? And she just said, no, okay, I'll do it. And she moved mountains to get her to Macau, to get visas, to get tickets, to get the whole lot. And she got it. And she got it over the line. And the whole time, I remember I met Danielle, and I met them and they were lovely people and everything else was fine and then I watched her on stage and I sent, I mean, Daniela hadn't even finished her pitch and I sent Adrienne a message on my WhatsApp because I could see her in the audience with his mother. And I was like, wow, you were right. This is amazing. <laughs> so it's an amazing story and what Danielle's done and how the relationship with the mother, it was just phenomenal. It is shown a little bit in the documentary, but Adrienne just genuinely moved mountains to make sure that her mom was there. That's cool. Thank you for that behind the scenes.
1: Look, I'd like to talk about the entrepreneurial mindset in Ireland. I do know that through Babson College I was asked to mentor a group of Scottish entrepreneurs and the idea of entrepreneurship and taking risks, it's not culturally really this was a few years ago, really honored. What is it like in Ireland these days?
0: In Ireland is very different. It is very we are a very entrepreneurial country. In general. So we are known kind of throughout the world, I suppose, as being the European headquarters for the likes of Facebook and Google and yeah. Apple. I saw that
1: when Apple, I was in Apple, Dublin. All these places. I was like, oh, am I in San Francisco or is this Dublin? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so even though we are the location for all of those headquarters, something like I think it's 80% of the Irish economy is made up by small businesses like EO level and accelerator level businesses. All the pubs. Are you including? Yeah, the pubs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The pubs, the shops. Now there's chains. I mean, there's chains of shops and chains of stores. But a lot of the stores and a lot of the businesses are these one-off small companies, kind of doing their thing, selling into the market. So entrepreneurship is very much alive and always has been, because even. When we became a republic, we didn't have the benefit of the massive engine of en- England, for example, having factories and having big companies and having like one company could have like 300 locations around the country. We didn't have that for our size, for everything else. So there has been this real embedding in our DNA, I suppose, of small family businesses, bakeries, restaurants, mm-hmm. pubs, shops, horse riding, leisure, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot, a lot of family businesses. It's actually one of the reasons there's so much kind of investment, there's so many accelerator programs, there's so many support programs. It's actually one of the reasons that we find it difficult to get people onto the EO accelerator program, because there are so mm. many out there that people just go, oh, and they don't pay attention to any of them because they think they're all the same, even though the EO one is obviously very different.
1: Is entrepreneurship brought up at all in the upper high school level? I'm not sure what you call that level in Ireland.
0: Secondary school, not so we do have this thing called the Young Scientist Award, where kind of two years before you finish high school. So I think it's about the time you go from middle school to high school, that kind of 15, 16 years of age. So there are competitions, but it's not a core subject. It's not something that everybody learns about. But there are competitions for science and for businesses and for build your own business kind of thing. But even in the business curriculum for people who do the national curriculum coming up to their leaving cert. Business is still a bit generic.
1: They're talking about you working at somebody else's business,
0: right? Maybe you working in someone else's business or you working for yourself, but it's more about this is what marketing is, this is what finance mm, is, this is what... So right. it's an understanding of the functions of business as opposed to actually going out there and grabbing the world by uh, yeah. the ear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the challenge that you're focusing on or dealing with or mitigating right now in your own business?
0: So we spent COVID rebuilding a program that we had developed and we rebuilt it from the ground up with a completely new algorithm. So we've built a piece of software where if you are 16 years of age, so at the moment it's targeted from 16 to kind of 24 years of age, so high school and early in college, we can give you a series of assessments, uh, aptitudes, your verbal, numerical and abstract reasoning, and then an interest inventory. So a group of psychometric assessments then we will be able to give you a report which gives you 16 very targeted careers, very specific careers that you are going to be good at and you're going to enjoy doing, a description of what's actually involved in that career, and then what kind of courses lead to becoming that career. Very, very targeted. Nothing really like it in the world. So we launched it last September. So we go uh, academic year because it's targeting into schools we got amazing feedback we've tweaked a couple of things a bit of the ui a bit of the all based on like everybody has a strategy until they get punched in the face i think it was mike tyson said that so it went out into the market we got this is perfect and then people are like oh why is that button there or this anyway so now what we're doing we're spending the summer tweaking the bits that are irish specific to make it international and then we're launching into the uk next year so in september I had some meetings with people in Malta. I was on holiday last week, but I'm an entrepreneur. So I had meetings while I was on holiday. Then we'll probably be going either to Australia, New Zealand or to Canada because there are national things when the States is kind of our last port because we have to go state by state. So that's what we're focusing on right now and just getting the internationalization part. And do
1: you, is your target market schools and counselors or is it individuals?
0: So at schools, we've built a way for the counsellors to have a dashboard so they can upload all their students. They can manage all of their students and see the individual reports and message the individual students. So basically, we do all of the heavy lifting for the counsellors. So when the counsellor gets the report, the other thing that we do that's different, a lot of places will do norm based charts where they'll go, "Okay, well, in relation to the rest of the population of America, you're in the 66th percentile. Mm -hmm. Doesn't actually tell you a huge amount as to how well they're going to do in a particular job. We also do selection. We know what it takes to do well in all of these careers. So we are criterion referenced. So we actually match the career to you as opposed to you to the career. So all of that lifting is done for the counselor or for the parents or for anybody else of kids of that age that are not sure what they want to do. And they can sit down and read the highly targeted careers and then they can have really in-depth conversations. So what is it that appeals to you about that? What doesn't appeal to you about that? We might have things like you might get a kid, might get real estate, a real estate agent as one of their careers. And they might say, oh, my parents are real estate agents. I hate going to open houses or whatever it is. First of all, you're never going to get that from an assessment. But it does actually show that even though they might hate the idea of working with their parents, actually, they'd be good at it. They have experience. They enjoy aspects of it. And their personality obviously leans towards being able to engage with people on on that kind of a level. So that's where the counselors and the parents can have much more in-depth conversations about the real aspects of what the job entails. So that's what I we're working on right now. I
1: love this idea so much, and there's such a need for it. There may be other tools out there that I'm not aware of, but I can tell you this, my counselors didn't have that, <laughs> anything like yep. that. And also they looked at me, and actually they didn't look at me. I was invisible. I didn't even have a counselor because mm-hmm. I was not they're typical student and they thought that I wasn't going to go to any kind of school.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things that I really noticed when people who have been through it, when they give me feedback on this. First of all, if I was to sit down with you and say, okay, for the next three hours, we're going to sit down and you're going to list every career that you can think of. How many do you think you could mm, get?
1: Right, right, right. There's a bunch I don't Most know Most people about. say
0: between 250 to 300 careers. Mm-hmm. Most people would say that. If I was to say, okay, well then how many of those could you explain? Most people cut that in half. And then I've said, OK, do you know what it takes to do well in each of those careers? Most people will cut that down to even less than half to understand what it takes to do well from a, an aptitude point of view. So career guidance counselors or teachers or people who are not properly trained in this, it's not their day to day. They're trying to do a lot of other things. They don't have the time to research all of these careers. So that's why a lot of people in Ireland, for example, will go, oh, you should go into business. You should be a nurse. You should be a lawyer. Like there's a couple of the big careers. That they just tell people that it fits. We have a database of 1,270 careers with the description for each, how to go about getting into each of those, and what it takes to do well in each of those. So we match those careers very specifically to students. For example, if you have an interest in numerical careers, for example, you might be told, oh, you should go off and be an accountant. But actually, if you've got really good verbal skills and really good abstract reasoning skills, you might not make a good accountant. You could be a really good CFO. Because you're not good at actually crunching the numbers, but you're very good at articulating and visualizing the numbers. Or you might be very good verbally, but actually you don't have an interest in being in front of the camera. So you might get journalist instead of TV producer, for example. So there's a lot of that stuff. And that whole algorithm was really fun to argue each of these conversations. I mean, it sounds like so much work.
1: I, I can't even imagine what kind of lift that took. That's a big number. And those are really deep things that you are... Considering within all of those careers, and I was wondering, I'm assuming that there are careers that these people have never heard of before. So if they haven't heard of them, they haven't considered yeah. them. And wow, what a mind-opening so, project! This my wife.
0: When we were doing this, my wife is a teacher; she's a secondary school teacher, high school teacher. And when we were obviously we were testing this out for the year, and we all did it multiple times where we did answer different questions. But when she did it for the first time. One of the careers, she didn't get teacher as a career because most people, when you talk to teachers who are not really happy with teaching, it's because they have this romanticized version of what teaching is, not actually you're going to spend most of your time teaching kids how to learn learn to read and write and do maths.
1: And behavior situations,
0: right? So we have a much more realistic view of what it takes to be a teacher and what interest it is to be a teacher. Mm She got a career that she had never heard of. Like she read it and she went, I didn't know that this was an option. So it was a hospital play specialist. So all of the games, all of the development, all of the nurturing for kids who are in hospital, long term, acute care, all this kind of stuff. But they still need support and care. and There are people who do that. And she was like, this is exactly I mean. I would (laughs) love to do this job. Now, my kids are in the school that she teaches in. So we have an agreement on fees. So she's not allowed to change her career for a couple of years.
1: <laughs> right. She's stuck with it for a minute.
0: Yeah. But it, as soon as my youngest graduates, I think she's going to be looking at that career change.
1: Amazing. But it's what exactly what career... you say.
0: She never even knew that it was a thing.
1: Right. What career did you get matched with?
0: So I mean, I got a lot of the things that I, I've grown up with psychometrics and I've grown up with personality profiling because it's my family business. So I've done these from a young age. So it has always kind of pushed me into marketing, entrepreneurship, public speaking, and like uh, doing stuff for other people.
1: Because you know about these assessments and such, do you think that you're actually a genuinely good subject to take the assessments because you kind of know what they're looking for?
0: Yes and no, but I mean, all of these assessments are all self-reporting anyway. So Mm -hmm. whether you know or not, you're still saying what you believe about yourself. So it's one of the things with Hogan, for example, the one that we talked about, it's actually a fake 360. It's not really, it doesn't care about your identity. It cares about your reputation, but that's a whole different conversation.
1: For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.